morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good to see you guys today on this last Sunday in February already. And the next Sunday, we're starting a brand new series called For His Friends. For His Friends. And that leads us into the story of the passion of Christ, uh, the celebration of His death, burial, and resurrection. And don't forget that next Sunday evening, uh, there is a special dinner and workshop for all small group leaders and also anyone interested in starting a small group this year. And so if you have any interest in leading a group, uh, we're going to start at 4 o'clock and have a session. Then we're going to have dinner together, and then we'll have a closing session. So we won't take up a whole lot of your day, but I hope that you can come and plan on being here for that. Uh, Well, we're in our final week of our series, Addicted to Ministry, and we have seen that ministry is as simple as helping someone around you in a way that points them to Jesus Christ. Uh, If you just help people and you never introduce them to Jesus, that's called the social gospel, okay? Uh, When you help people by pointing them to Jesus Christ, that's what true Christianity is all about. And when we minister to others uh, in bringing them to Christ, we glorify God. Uh, at Centennial, our purpose, uh, and you have it on the, on the wall going out, you have it on the door coming in, serving God by serving others. And ministry doesn't have to be organized and funded and planned and governed. It's often completely organic, finding needs and meeting the needs. Uh, but here's the thing about well-doing. Well-doing is a big task. Actually, it's an unending task. Uh, As long as we have selfish leaders in the world and pandemic diseases and natural disasters and extreme poverty and lack of education and most of all spiritual emptiness, we are going to have good things to do on this earth. And, And so the task is big. It's much bigger than us. And if you try to take all the good that can be done in the world and put it on your own shoulders, there will only be one ending, failure, Uh, fatigue, burnout, whatever you want to call it. You'll get overwhelmed. You'll become what Galatians 6 calls weary in well-doing. See, well-doing is a God-sized job that requires God-given strength. God hasn't asked any of us to do the entire job. Uh, We're part of a body of believers called the church that has been specially designed for ministry. And you are a specialized member of God's team. He went to the trouble of creating you uh, with unique DNA, unique gifting, unique skills, uh, unique passion. A unique personality, some more unique than others. How many of you would say, I know somebody in the room today who has a very unique personality, okay? Just, okay, yeah, that's what I thought. And and you know, God has given you unique experiences too that aren't like anybody else's on the planet. Uh, You are a special creation of God made to minister. And look, if God was that detailed in forming you, don't you think that he will give you specific ways to help the people around you whose needs 
match your gifting? He absolutely will. He's going to give you opportunities to serve that are unlike the opportunities he's given anyone else. And you have a one-in-a-kind part of his big-picture plan. But here's the thing. If you wait to serve, and some people do this, if you wait to serve until you have the means to help everybody, you won't help anybody. And so start with somebody and get busy. And instead of lamenting what could have been done, go out and do. That's what we're going to see this morning in our final message of the series in 2 Kings chapter 4. And so head that direction, 2 Kings chapter 4, as we get started this morning. And we see that there was a woman who did for one person what she wished she could do for everyone. Now, that's what God has called you to do. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Let's go to 2 Kings 4, where we will meet the Shunammite. 2 Kings chapter 4, and starting at verse number 8. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunam, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned him thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is an holy man of God which passes by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn him thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to, to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldst thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thy handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. So in Shunem, there was this great woman, a prominent woman, a wealthy woman. And this woman realized that God had blessed her so that she could bless others. Did you know that most people who have more than they need never figure this out? God gave you more than you need for a reason, right? Uh, to allow His blessings to flow through you to others. God did not give you extra so that you can waste it. God did not give you extra so that you can hoard it. Now, in this period of time, about 900 B.C., uh, there were a lot of prophets roaming around the countryside. And in fact, uh, we know that there were schools of prophets in various places in Israel. And instead of waiting uh, until they could meet the needs of every prophet in the country, the Shunammite and her family met the needs of God's prophet Elisha. And we will see how God met their needs in return. 
Now, it just so happens, for all you boys and girls, uh, we have the Shunammite with us this morning in the service. And so I'm sure you kids like to see her, right? Okay, here she comes right up to the front. And welcome Mrs. Shunammite to the stage. Would everybody, would you welcome Mrs. Shunammite to the stage? We are honored to have her here this morning. We have a special place for you to sit right here, Mrs. Shunammite. And let's look at some of the things about this great woman today. And the Bible calls her a great woman. And so we should take notice of this, all right? So let's get into your notes. They're in your bulletin. They're in your children's bulletin. They're also on the YouVersion app. Here we go. First thing is we see an awareness of a need. An awareness of a need. Apparently, uh, the man of God looked like he needed more rest and looked like he needed some home cooking because the, the Shunammite constrained him to eat bread. Now, by the way, uh, most preachers don't have to be constrained to eat bread, okay? Uh, every time Elisha came through Shunam, he would stop in for a meal. And I'm telling you, he ate up when he was at the Shunammite's house. And, and see, the woman, the Shunammite woman, she took notice of something that other people had either overlooked or simply thought was unimportant. Okay, the other people had overlooked it or they thought it wasn't important. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, we notice needs that God has laid on our heart but then we think, oh, that's not really that important. Do you know why God laid it on your heart? Because it's important, right? God doesn't put a need on your heart that's not important. It's important to Him. Sometimes we overlook them, but sometimes we just value them as unimportant. And she noticed that there was a need. There was a need to help this prophet to be strengthened so that he could fight for God's truth. I like what we just sang and God's truth is marching on. I'll tell you this. God's truth is going to be, a, uh, he's going to be around a long time after there's a United States or there's an Amazon or there's an Apple or there's a McDonald's or anything else. God's church is going to be strong and his truth is going to march on. And there's nobody who can do away with it. And I'm telling you, they're going to try. You need to pray this week. Uh, there's a an act that's going through Congress right now, going through really in the middle of the night, called the Equality Act. And it's already gone through the House. If the Senate passes it and it gets signed by the President, it will be uh, the greatest tool to go after churches in the United States that there's ever been. They're going to try to require churches uh, to have transgender restrooms, to hire transgender staff, and I'm sure that they're going to start approving and dis disproving, uh, disapproving sermons and things like that. And so we really need to pray. Uh, but no matter what happens with that bill, can I tell you this? God's truth is marching on. It's going to keep marching on. If I go to jail, it's going to march on. If you go to jail, it's going to march on. I read the back of the book, we win. Okay? Don't get discouraged by what's happening right now. God is going to win. And truth is going to march on. And, and this Shunammite woman, she went out of her way to make sure that this prophet was encouraged. Did you know that food is encouraging to some people? 
How many would say there's been a time in my life where I've been encouraged by food? Right? Now, I can't really talk about it right now because some of you are going to think, I need encouragement. Right? You may leave to go get some food. We've all been encouraged by food, and, and the need for food is fairly ordinary. I think we all understand that one. But this woman, she noticed another need that wasn't as ordinary. Nobody had really thought of it before. She invented this idea. She told her husband, hey, the prophet is passing through here a lot. He needs a place to stay. Let's build him his own chamber on the wall surrounding our house. Now, now don't think of their houses like our houses in the United States, okay? Uh, in the Middle East, especially back then, wealthy families uh, had walls around their estates. And uh, they had walls that were sometimes 10 or 20 feet thick. Walls that had chambers inside of them or on top of them. And just like I said, nobody had really noticed that the prophet could use a place of his own to rest up, right? He just slept out in the woods, and sometimes he woke up grumpy, right? Do you know that this same prophet one day is walking up through the woods, and maybe he had slept in the woods all night, and these kids came out of a village, and they started making fun of him because he was bald, right? Now, how many of you think that's just wrong? Right? You make fun of anybody who's bald. Scott thinks that's wrong. He thinks it's wrong. And there were 42 kids, and the prophet turned around and cursed them in the name of God, and bears came out of the woods and ate them. All right? So boys and girls, never make fun of bald people. Right? Especially bald people who had to sleep in the woods. So they made the prophet his own chamber, and, and she talked to her husband about it. I'm not sure how the conversation went with her husband. She's like, hey, this prophet that keeps coming by for meals needs a place to stay. We should build him his own prophet's chamber on top of our wall. And I don't know what his response was. Uh, maybe he went right away to get his tool belt, right? Maybe he hired some guys to do it. Or maybe he said, listen, if we build one prophet a chamber on the wall, we're going to have to build a chamber for every prophet that comes by. Because that's the old argument, right? Uh, kids, we can't take in that stray dog because then we'll have to take in all the stray dogs. Right? Or when you're in school, Johnny, I can't give you a sucker because then I'll have to give all the kids a sucker. You're like, no, you wouldn't. Right? There's no rule. Uh, we can't support one child with Compassion International because then we'll feel obliged to support all the kids. And we can't sponsor one teenager for camp because then we'd have to sponsor all of them. Now, in case you didn't notice, uh, this particular argument is actually just an excuse for not getting involved. Okay, it's not a valid argument. Uh, she wasn't asking her husband, Johnny, about helping all the prophets she was asking about helping this prophet, okay? This prophet that God had brought by their place. And God had arranged the intersection for them to meet. She noticed the need. And you can be certain that God has arranged these intersections in your life as well. 
But have you noticed the need? The way that you could help the one. Not everyone, but the one. And so there was an awareness of a need. Let's talk about meeting the need. Meeting the need. Now, for this portion, you have to read a little bit between the lines of the story. After noticing the need, the woman was proactive in partnering with her husband to build a prophet's chamber on their wall. Now, how do we know this? Well, in verse 11, Elisha was staying in the chamber that had been built. Okay, so that's how we know it got built. They didn't just notice the need, they met the need. Now, why do we bring this up? Well, because sometimes there's a disconnect between noticing a need and actually meeting the need. Right? Uh, all right, it's good to have our son Dawson and his fiancée Faith here today. And a couple of years ago, Dawson was with me in Uganda. And we uh, were going out to this island in Lake Victoria, and we went on the worst road that I've ever been on in my life. Um, and it, we're going on this road. There's trucks on the road bringing all the commerce to and from Lake Victoria. And so I said to my friend, why in the world do they not fix this road? I look at all these cars, and there's motorcycles, and they're going in and out of ruts, and your car could only go like 10 kilometers an hour. Otherwise, it'd shake you to death. And why don't they ever fix the road? He said, they've paid to fix the road five times. They, they pay government officials to fix the road, and the government official just keeps the money. So he said, listen, there's a disconnect. They noticed the need. They paid for the need but the road never got built. You know, that happens a lot of times in our lives because meeting the need takes some initiative. It might require planning and construction like it did for them to build the chamber. There, there was some real investment of time and resources and energy here. This required a, both a short-term and a long-term commitment. But the Shunammite she was ready to minister. And her husband just so happened to be a pretty handy guy. Uh, he could build and fix stuff like nobody's business. And, and this Shunammite, she was always coming up with projects for the guy to do. Tear down this wall. Build this wall. Right? Put a window here. Take a window out there. Right? Put electric here. And you can just imagine, right? ministry requires doing right? And some people are laughing because this particular Shunammite's husband, I just kind of described what has really happened. So, uh, ministry requires doing, and intentions are fantastic, but intentions don't meet needs. Only actions do that. As my mom and probably yours used to say, if wishes were fishes, the sea would be full, and she had another nugget, too. She said, if wishes were horses, we'd all take a ride. But watch this. Here's, here's, here's so unique about this meeting needs thing. Most people evaluate their own ministry participation by their intentions instead of their actions. As long as my heart feels the compassion for the need... That's what's important. 
right? A missionary comes, and he shows his slides of another place in the world, and tears flow, and our hearts break for it. And actually, we didn't do anything about it, but we felt the need. And yet, when it comes to real life, meeting the need is what seems to be a little more important, right? In the parable of the Good Samaritan, do we give the priest or the Levite any credit for walking by the injured man and feeling badly for him? Nope. But it's much easier to give ourselves credit for the same thing. It's called self-justification. And if we're not careful, our level of commitment to ministry gets justified through our intentions. The Shunammite and her husband actually built the chamber. And now, Elisha was staying in the chamber, maxing, relaxing, playing it cool, and he has a thought. <laughs> I throw references in just to make Scott laugh. He's the only person, evidently, who ever watched The Prince of Bel-Air. So, um, this guy, too. So, let's see this next part now, and uh, I want you to really embrace this part, because uh, here comes Elisha and Gehazi, and they say to the Shunammite, hey, we want to help you. You helped us. We want to help you. And here's the third part. I have no need. I have no need. So he's in there enjoying the hospitality of the Shunammite one day. She made a fantastic meal. He's up on the bed in his chamber, just relaxing, thinking, and all of a sudden, he wonders if there's something that could be done to help the person who had helped him. And so he says to Gehazi, hey, call the Shunammite in for a second. And so here comes the Shunammite. She comes right in. Uh, and look at verse 13. He said unto him, so this is him saying through Gehazi, say now unto her, behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldst thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. I dwell among my people. What does that mean? Well, the Shunammite was claiming that she was fully satisfied with her life just as it was. She's got no, no complaints Right? She doesn't need you to talk to the king. She doesn't need you to name drop for her. She got no complaints. She's living among her people in contentment. And by the way, this is a good way to live. Right? It's a good way to live. Uh, last night we got to go uh, with Cody and his wife and Dawson's fiance to dinner. And uh, we sat down, and some of us were there, and the waiter came. And one person ordered water to drink, and he said, it's the best drink on the planet. And then, like, the next person ordered water to drink, and he said, it's the best drink on the planet. And by the time the third one ordered water, and he said, it's the best drink on the planet, I ordered iced tea, okay, <laughs> just to get him out of the rut. And then Cody and Michaela sat down, and he said it again. And I thought, you know, maybe he should get a new line, but I'm kind of cynical and mean, so... Um, but, but I'll tell you this, uh, satisfied is the best way to live on the planet. Content is the best way to live on the planet. God says over and over again, be, be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. 
at it. She says, Mr. Prophet, I have no need. I don't want you to use any of your connections to get anything from me. And if you're a person who has decided to live with a heart of ministry, who is willing to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone, you won't be thinking much about your own needs because you'll be too busy meeting the needs of others. And you've probably got somebody in your life who's this person, your mom or your aunt or your grandmother, where every time you say, hey, mom, let me help you. No, you get out of my kitchen, right? Let me wash the dishes. No, I only wash the dishes, right? Let me make some dinner. No, only I wash, only I make the dinner, right? And like, they just want to meet needs. They just, that's all they do is they look for needs to meet in other people. How many of you know somebody like that? How many of you, you think they're the most stubborn person on the planet? How many of you, you wish you could just lecture them and get after them, right? Should I stop? Because we have some of these people here in the room today. If you're a person who has decided to live with a heart of ministry, uh, who is willing to do these things, you're not going to be thinking about yourself. You'll think of others because you'll be too busy meeting their needs. But there's something so awesome about what happens next. And I want you to see this one. God knows your need. God knows your need. You and Sister Shunammite have at least one thing in common. God knows your needs before you do, and God knows your needs better than you do. And I hope you'll get this. God knows your needs before you do. God knows your needs better than you do. When you dedicate your life to helping other people, God has a way of making sure that your needs are met. I so often hear people say, well, you need to make sure to take care of yourself. Right? It's something we say. You've been looking out for other people too much. You need to look out for yourself. And that all sounds so right and so informed. And you've probably said something smart like this yourself. I think I have too. But there's one big problem. It's never found as a principle anywhere in God's Word. It's not in there. In fact, God tells us just the opposite. He wants us to keep serving others, and then keep serving others, and then keep serving others, and it is His good pleasure to make sure that our needs are met while we serve others. Now look at this over in Galatians 6 for just a second. Galatians chapter 6. So move away from 2 Kings, go quickly over to Galatians chapter 6. And I want you to see two verses here. And these are great verses to memorize, underline, know about. This is a principle of God's Word. Galatians chapter 6, and let's look at verses 9 and 10. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have, therefore, opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. In due season, we shall reap. Now, what will we reap? Well, according to Galatians 6, verse 7, we will reap what we have sown. And if you sow helping others, 
God is going to make sure there's going to be people to help you. If you sow uh, caring about old number one, you're going to reap a lonely and miserable life. Faith means trusting God to do what's best for me while I serve others. And this is the type of faith that the Shunammite showed us. Uh, we're going to let the great woman go down now from the stage, all right? Would you give her a hand? Yeah, we are blessed that the great woman could come and be with us today. And we're letting her go down so that we can talk about her behind her back. Well, in this particular instance, it is. Now, I want you to go back to 2 Kings 4, and let's see how God uh, met the needs of this family that helped Elisha. Okay, so go back to 2 Kings chapter 4, and we read it once, but I want you to see it again, uh, because we're going to finish out the message today talking about what God did for this family. So Elisha's laying there, what, what can we do for you? Oh, there's nothing, I don't need it, I'm content, right? I dwell among my people. And what are we going to do for her? Gehazi yeah, said, well, she doesn't have a child, and her husband's really old, right? And, uh, and so he said, okay, call her in. Hey, about this season of life, you're going to have a son. And the woman said, Listen to me, Mr. Man of God. Don't you lie to me. I'm not going to have a son. Have you seen my husband? He's older than the hills, right? And, and the woman, sure enough, she conceived. She had a son. And here's what I love about this. The woman, the Shunammite, had a need. She hadn't spoken about the need. It's possible she didn't even know she had the need. But it was a need that God knew about. It was there. And God met it. And soon she embraced a son. Right? And, and God shows us the power of today's faith challenge. And we're going to talk about this for a little while. It is a pleasure to meet needs unknown to the people that have them. <laughs> It's a pleasure to meet needs unknown to the people that have them. Elisha didn't know that he needed a chamber on the wall. But the Shunammite figured it out. Uh, the Shunammite didn't know she needed a son. But God certainly knew, and now she has a son. Right? Amy and I didn't know that we needed a host of more children. We still are trying to figure out how all that works. But God knew. Huh. That's fatiguing. We had all six kids at the house yesterday. I'm telling you, it was hilarious. Downstairs, you could just hear the banter going off uh, between the three oldest, them just insulting each other like mad, like crazy, down there playing video games. And uh, Dawson would get a zing in on Cody, and Cody would get a zing in on Autumn, and and then Sophie, uh, because she's seven, she, she would get uh, dramatic and offended and go hide and do stuff. And then Titus, he's three, so he's just walking around shooting people with a plastic gun. <laughs> and Holland's upstairs laying in a little bassinet. And I'm telling you what, it was a surreal experience, okay? 
If you don't have children who are separated by 23 and a half years, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, but, but God knew what this woman needed, and now she's got a son. And here's the thing. It's not the end of her story. It's not the end of her story. God wasn't done meeting needs in the Shunammite's life. Uh, her son, you could read this in the chapter, her son grew up. And one day he's out working with his dad on the farm, probably taking his turn on the John Deere tractor. And he came over to his dad and said, Dad, my head really hurts, really bad. And so dad had a young man carry the boy to his mother. And she held him on her knees and, you know, stroked his head, got him a cloth. She held him on her knees till noon, and then he died. Well, this Shunammite believed that this was not the end of the story. And it, she laid her son's body on Elisha's bed in the prophet's chamber. She rode quickly over to Mount Carmel, fell down in front of Elisha, grabbing his feet in apparent grief. And I want you to look at her words in verse 28. If you're still in chapter 4, look at verse 28. Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? And Elisha immediately sensed what was wrong. He sent Gehazi on the run to place his staff on the little boy's face. And when Elisha arrived, the boy was still dead. He shut the door of the chamber and he began to pray. He stretched himself upon the body of the little boy and, and the boy's flesh began to, to warm and uh, finally, he sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Kids, it's in your kid's bulletin today. And, uh, and God met the need of the woman who had met the needs of others. Here's what's great, though. That's not the end of her story. Still not the end of her story. God wasn't done meeting needs in the life of the person who had met other people's needs. And if you meet other people's needs, can I tell you something? God's not done working in your life. He's still got a purpose for you. He's still got good plans for you. Elisha prophesied that a famine was coming into the land. And he told the Shunammite, he said, listen, there's a famine coming. You need to leave your estate and travel abroad. The famine's going to last seven years. So this is a seven-year famine. Well, when she came back seven years later, her land had been stolen. Her house had been taken. All of their farmland had been stolen. And so she went in to go before the king. And she's going to go into the king and plead her case to get her land back. Well, it just so happens that she came to talk to King Jehoram about her land at the exact same time that Gehazi was telling the king the story of her son being raised from the dead. And Gehazi said to the king, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. You know the king restored her land and all the crops that had been taken through those years and everything else that had been taken from her. And the woman who didn't need anything, who was content to dwell among her people, who didn't need any favors from anybody, 
found out that God supplies the needs of those who make it their mission in life to help other people. While she found ways to minister to others, God worked behind the scenes to give her contentment again and again. Now, your story will certainly be different from the Shunammite story. But you know, God wants to do the same thing for you. As you do for one what you wish you could do for everyone, God will meet your needs. And if you have the faith to help others and let God provide for your satisfaction, your story is going to show forth the power of God to everyone around you. What an amazing God we serve. He has designed your life so that you can uniquely help other people while He provides you with satisfaction. So, here's the question. Who is the one that you can help this week? Who is the one that you can invest in long term? You know, if it's, a, if it's only the person in the mirror, you're going to be missing out on God's purpose for your life. Right? If the only person you're serving is the one in the mirror, your joy meter is going to be way down. Your satisfaction meter is going to be way down because you were made to minister. And when you're not doing what you're made to do, you can't get no satisfaction. Right? There's going to be none. You got to do what God's made you to do. I love this story of the Shunammite. It's one of my favorites. Here's this person who went out of her way, not a great deal, but went out of her way to help one person. And God took notice. And God said, you know what? We got some things we can do for her. We're going to give her a son she didn't know she needed. And he's going to be the joy of her life. And then... We're going to raise him from the dead. And then we're going to restore her land. And I'm telling you, God's got a book on your life. He's got good plans for you. He works all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And if you will just minister to the people around you, God's going to take notice. And I, I bet somebody at some point has gone out of their way to minister to you. Do you know that most people come to Christ because one person went out of their way to make a connection with them? One person. And that was the catalyst for their growth of faith. And you know, if you would do that, you just talk to one person. This week, help one person with the goal of showing Jesus to them. Talk to one person about why you're so happy in your faith. Share with one person what God has done in your life. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. It's a life-changing principle because it's a God-honored principle. And so that's the story of the Shunammite. 
I hope that you will remember who she was and what God did for her. Let's bow together in prayer. And as we close out the series, I, I want to encourage you to allow God right now to speak to your heart about this series, Addicted to Ministry. What does God want to do in you because of the Word that has been given? Whether we're talking about holding up heavy hands like we did last week, we're talking about uh, the, the special house of people in the New Testament who were addicted to ministry, or today helping one person. I pray, God, that you would help us to take these things into our hearts, that you would produce in us the fruits of your kingdom, that you would help us to show forth in our lives the Holy Spirit and His fruit, that we might go and bring forth fruit that will remain. Bring others into your kingdom by serving them and by sharing with them your truth. God, I pray that you'd bless now as we go from this place. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Great to see you out this morning.